if we've taken that leap to step out on our own, you know, usually it's something that we have an incredible amount of passion towards, you know, it, it becomes our baby. So it's very easy to start obsessing about the detail. Uh, but by doing that, you get lost, you, you lose the opportunity to actually to progress and to grow and to move forward because you're spending all the time trying to make something perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. You know, the fastest way to get something that's good or great is just to make it, put it out there and go and iterate, 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 iterate. Um, and that's not only for products, that's also for your work. You know, if you're putting together a marketing strategy, you know, you can sit there for three weeks trying to create the perfect marketing strategy. But the problem is there's so many external variables that you're never going to be able to think about when you're sitting there in your cubicle or at your desk at home or in your office that are, that are going to influence it or influence what you put together. The best thing is, is to put something together that might be bare bones, start getting it out there and then react and iterate based on the feedback that you're getting in the market. Hi, and welcome to the Mindset and Performance Podcast. I'm Dries. I help athletes and business professionals with their career development. We work on a wide range of areas from psychology to strategy and execution, but we focus essentially on the mindset as it is the key to everything else. The whole idea behind this podcast is to deconstruct the habits that led people to their success, to learn from their experience and understand the psychology behind their actions and behaviors. And of course, to gain key insights that you can apply to your own life. So how are you today? I'm doing very well. Yourself? I'm good. Busy days because I'm taking a few days off um, from after tomorrow. Okay. So I'm trying to pack everything in three first days of the week, which I think it's a quite nice thing to do, by the way, for the listeners. It can be a trick. 
pack everything in the first three days and take four days off. <laughs> that would be a very good way to live every week. <laughs> You're right. Especially for self-employed people. Yeah, and especially for people that have passions outside of their job. Mm -hmm. Speaking of passion, what were you doing this morning, you said? I was surfing at the beach at 7 a.m. And how was it? Uh, the waves were small and there was a lot of people, but uh, I try to get to the beach every morning, uh, whether it's to walk my dogs or get into the water. It's one of the uh, things that I must do. It, it really allows me to ground myself. Um, I find the longer that I spend away from the beach, Uh, the more neurotic and the more manic I become. What else do you do besides surfing? Right now, uh, spend time with my wife. That's a, that's another happy place for me. Mm. Um, I try to go to the gym three or four days a week. Uh, and by that, it's just going to the gym. Mm -hmm. I, my only goal at this point in life is to get on my bike and drive from my house to the gym. If I just go and I have a sauna uh -huh. or I go and I sit at the coffee shop next to it, at least uh -huh. I've made it to the gym. You know, mm -hmm. I spent so long in my life uh, over the last few years uh, where staying healthy wasn't an important part of it. Mm -hmm. And getting back into it, just making that commitment every day of just getting to the gym it, to me is like half the battle. Yeah. And most days I get there, I'll spend 20 or 30 minutes on the bike and then I'll go have a sauna for 20 minutes. Other days I'll spend 20, 30 minutes on the bike do a half hour of weights, 20 or 30 minutes of yoga, some time in the sauna, and then go home. Uh, but for me, it's just about that repetition and forming that habit of getting there every single day. So what happened? The, what was There was different priorities back then? When? Um, well, throughout my life, it's there, there's always been ebbs and flow to the level of activity that I've had. Mm. Um, and honestly, the times that have always felt the healthiest is when I've had the most activity in my life. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't mean that just physically healthy, you know, mentally healthy as well and just happy. Um, but when I first moved to, to Indonesia, uh, I found myself surfing a lot, which was great. I was in the water most days, uh, you know, at least once, sometimes twice. Then I moved to Jakarta for just over two years. Um, and there became a little bit more difficult to maintain that activity level. Mm. Um, I tried going to some yoga classes and I found it very difficult to find a community or to find practitioners that were at a level that I was used to training with. Um, I'm pretty sure it's way different than, than here in Bali. Yeah. And even like I grew up in, in Vancouver and before I moved here, I was living in Vancouver and Northern California and, or staying in Northern, Cal Northern California a lot. And those are two yoga meccas. You know, so we have world-class teachers that... Oh, I, I didn't can, know that. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Well, Lululemon's from Vancouver. You know, like, there's a lot of really well-known yoga teachers from Vancouver. Right. I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. So, you know, I uh, I was very, very spoiled um, from in that regard. And the classes always had a lot of energy. And the teachers were always very, very creative. Um, and when I, when I got to Jakarta, uh, I found that most of the, the classes that I went to were just... A teacher teaching a sequence that they had learned from their teacher um, and it was just very hard for me to connect with the whole process uh, so I found myself going less and less and less and you know working at establishing a business in a foreign market as an expat my time that I actually had free to do those things became less and less and less um, and it slowly it kind of gradually just you know, moved out of my life and stopped being a priority. Mm. 
Mm. So speaking of work, like what are you up to now? And um, how do you actually introduce yourself to people? What's, what's the label? What's the title? Well, my, my title with the company is COO. So, uh -huh. um, you know, I'm a partner with, uh, with Philip who founded the company. Uh, and currently I spend majority of my time uh, overseeing our international development. We're getting ready to launch mm. our product uh, in Europe and North America mm. in early 2020. Uh, so I'd say I, I spend probably about 70% of my time, 80% of my time right now focusing on that. Mm -hmm. uh, the other 20 to 30% is uh, overseeing and working with our existing business in Indonesia. Right. And so can you tell us a little more about the products for the listeners that doesn't yeah. know about them yet? Yeah. So the product's called G Herbal. Mm -hmm. uh, and most people, or I'm sure most of your listeners will be familiar with uh, Ayurveda from India or traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, our product is the Indonesian slash Malay equivalent, um, which is Jammu. Uh, it's a tr traditional form of healing using natural ingredients found uh, within the Indonesian archipelago. So Jammu, um, for me, I thought the Jammu meant the orange yellowish product. No, ja Jammu yeah. is more of an umbrella term um, to refer to uh, what is traditional healing in mm. Indonesia. So yes, t typically it's tonics and they generally tend to be very uh, heavily based in uh, tumuluak, which is Javanese ginger or Javanese turmeric, uh, which is part of the turmeric family, but it's not the same as the turmeric you'd find in the grocery store in the West. Um, so most of, most of the formulations and most of what you see are heavily based in that, which mm -hmm. is why you get that really kind of dark, bright, orangish, orangish yellowish mm. color to it. Mm -hmm. um, however, it does represent a, a much broader umbrella of, of natural healing. So Jammu means healing or natural healing. I don't know what the actual Specific, uh, literal no. translation uh. would be of the word Jammu, mm. um, but it's, yeah, it's what they refer to to going out, picking plants, mixing it, creating it into a yeah. medicine and using yeah. it to heal. Right. So you are um, taking care of a, uh, a, a local brand, right? Correct. G Herbal. Yes. Yeah. Well, I spend most of my time with G Herbal mm. uh, Singapore, which is G Herbal Global. Uh, but the brand was originally launched in Indonesia. Okay, so can you tell us more about this product? Sorry, I interrupted before when I asked about Jammu. Yes. Um, yeah. So what we do, well, the founder, Philip, um, got into this business uh, very, very differently than most people that get into the supplement business or the health and wellness business. Uh, for him, it wasn't that he saw an opportunity in the market and he was like, I'm going to make a product and go after it. Uh, and he wasn't someone that was on this health journey himself who ended up becoming ultra healthy and made the decision. I want to work in this industry. What type of product can I create? Uh, it came about very naturally where about, I think it was 11 years ago, uh, 12 years ago now, uh, a friend of his, uh, every month, uh, when it would be, uh, that time of the month for her, for her menstrual cycle, um, she'd deal with a lot of menstrual related pains and, uh, kind of mood swings and things of that nature. PMS. PMS. Exactly. And, Every month she would go to this little warong down this little gong. So this little shop down this little alley in this remote part of Jakarta and walk in and this 
little, this man, this old man would mix these herbs for her and give them to her. And if she got those herbs that month, she'd be fine. She'd have no pain. She'd spend no time in bed. She'd just glide right through it. Uh, months when she was unable to get that mixture of herbs, she'd spend two or three days in bed. And Philip was kind of blown away that, you know, here in Indonesia, they're using herbs, like as he refers to it, you know, Indonesian salad to treat a condition that back in Europe, in Switzerland, where he's from, doctors are prescribing anti-baby pills, antidepressants, you know, hardcore pharmaceuticals to deal with these symptoms. That have necessarily a lot of bad effects, negative effects, side effects. Exactly. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so that led him on the, the mission to try to find a way to get this product to the European market. And that was just over 10, 10 years ago. Oh, wow. 10 years ago. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it was a very, very, very long time mm. in development. Mm. Uh, he spent the first year uh, going to different remote parts of Indonesia and meeting these Jammu masters and seeing if he could get a formula off of them that he could then repackage and uh, bring to the European market. Um, that didn't work out for him. No one was really willing to share their, their recipes. They tend to hold them pretty, pretty close to their hearts. Um, you know, every Jammu master is known for, you know, their own specific things. So it's kind of like sharing trade secrets. Uh, that led him to a place that's called Ipebe uh, Bogor. Uh, IPB, uh, which is the largest agricultural university in Southeast Asia. And there he eventually began working with the faculty. Uh, it took him about a year of going up there on a regular basis and just talking to people before they took him seriously and started actually, you know, having real conversations about, uh, about Jammu with him and about uh, the, you know, the specifics of different Indonesian herbs. Uh, and then from that point, it was, you know, a very long road to the point where our products actually became registered for sale. Um, we went, Philip went through multiple years of uh, different formulations and different trials to get the product to where it is now. Um, you know, from the right from the get go, he never wanted to be someone that was just pushing capsules. You know, if he didn't create a product that you know, the majority of the people actually felt a positive benefit from it. He had no interest in doing it. Uh, and that's what led us to, to where we are today with uh, a line of five different products. We have a product uh, for the immune system, which is G Herbal Body, uh, which is kind of a total body booster. We have a product for your skin, another product for your weight. But then we have a product for um, kind of overall uh, mental wellness. I don't want to say mental wellness is probably the wrong word. Um, sharpness, focus, sharpness, well -being. focus, well-being. That, yeah, that's the that bliss. bliss. That's yeah. the bliss, right? Yeah, yeah bliss. one of my favorites too. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people really like that product. Mm. Um, and then finally, we have our product woman, which was the product that started it all. Yeah, the beginning of it. And funny enough, it was the last product to actually hit market and get final approval. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it took the longest to, to develop that product. Right. Like I had somebody asking me actually about it this morning, yeah. the, about the women. He going to be in touch with you oh, for, for the product. Yeah. Uh, so um, is there any other products in Indonesia? I mean, when I go to supplement stores, I never see any Indonesian products in the, in the stores. Like I see American imported 
maybe Singaporean, but I never saw like really. There are some. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'd say that they're more recent launches. Mm. They're mm. a little bit harder to come by in Bali than they mm. are in, in Jakarta or in Java. Mm. Um, you know, I think Bali has a lot more kind of boutique type brands like if you go to coffee and oven or if you go to bali buddha you can buy little pouches with mixtures of herbs from indonesia and things of that nature mm. um, but nothing there's a few brands out of jakarta um, that are doing it on a larger level mm. uh, like we are um, but no one's exporting it at scale right uh, which is one of the things that's different for for us what other differences are they uh, are there um, for uh, like the difference between your product and other products? Why would you say your products are um, better or more efficient, or effective, or? Well, it, it's a couple of key reasons. Mm. Most people that start a supplement brand, the 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 easy path to market and the the path to market that most people take is they go to a producer that produces supplements. And they say, I want a supplement for weight. I want a supplement for skin. I want a supplement for this. And the producer goes, they look through their book and they go, boom, 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 boom. Okay, that one, that one, that one. Here you are. And that's mm -hmm. it. Um, most of the, the extracts that are used in those scenarios are uh, purchased through wholesalers. So you really have no control over the final quality of the product. The path we took is or that Philip took is a lot longer and uh, a lot more difficult. So we know the farms where all of our raw ingredients come from. They arrive at our producer, our producer checks the raw ingredients to make sure that the, bat that the batch overall has a certain minimum level of active compounds. Once it passes those, then it goes to the scientific portion where we're making sure that we're using the most optimal extraction method for each of the individual herbs. So for us, it's control of the process from start to finish. So we know exactly what's going into each capsule. We can make the claim that it's you know farm to capsule. Uh, all of our ingredients are traceable to source. Um, that's the big difference. Mm. Um, whereas normally when you buy from a wholesaler, you get a powder, you don't know how much filler's in there, et cetera, et cetera. You put it into a capsule and you hope for the best. Right. So who's taking the, 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 these products now? Uh, who do you see um, more attracted to these products? Are we talking here about regular people, about athletes, about business professionals, a little bit of a blend of everyone? It's a blend of everyone. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, when we first came to Bali from, huh. uh, from Jakarta and started tapping into the, the, the market in Bali, hmm. it was, <coughs> pardon me, when we first started tapping into the, the market in Bali, it was adopted initially by a lot of athletes. Uh, whereas in Europe, uh, the markets we've been testing with over the years, and even in Jakarta, it's a lot of professionals. You know, our product is not, it's not a performance product from an athletic standpoint. It's about helping people simplify their well-being. You know, out of our product line, if there's one product you could take that's going to help you the most, it's body. Body does so much for so many things. And just taking that daily, it's going to help elevate your overall health and well-being. Um, so we have a lot of people that are senior citizens. We have a lot of professionals. We have people dealing with arthritis. We have, 
you know, just this, this vast, um, this very broad spectrum of clients. Mm -hmm. And that was the goal. Uh, the goal wasn't to make something that was targeted specifically towards athletes. Um, it was about creating a product that could help people live healthier every day. That was very easy to take. What kind of, um, you know, expectations one needs to have, uh, from, from, um, the, the, the products, uh, I guess like it's different from one product to another from uh, like two weeks, see the difference after two weeks, three weeks, one month. Yeah. So for, for three of our products, most people notice a difference right away. Uh, body bliss and woman for, for those three products, most women, their first menstrual cycle, if they know when it's coming, if they start taking the product according to, um, the directions, then they have a far more comfortable experience during that first month. Uh, for Bliss and Body, for those two products, most people will notice an impact, you know, the first, first or second time they take the product. Uh, skin, and, skin and weight, uh, generally, you know, two to three weeks is what, uh, you know, we normally suggest, especially for skin, if you're dealing with something like acne, um, it'll take a little bit longer. Uh, and generally your acne, the first mm -hmm. week will actually get worse before it actually gets better over the second, third and fourth week because it's your body de de detoxifying. Um, so yeah, it depends on the product, mm -hmm. you know, and with, with all herbal supplements and even with all pharmaceuticals and medication, not every herbal supplement and not every medication works with every person, mm -hmm. you know? So for us right now, we're you know, very fortunate that we're, you know, hitting a very, very high success rate in terms of people that actually feel the effectiveness of our product. Mm -hmm. But for some people, they just, they don't, they, they, they don't. And that's just, you know, how the industry is. Uh, I had my uh, acupuncturist uh, complimenting me for my skin. He was like, what are you eating? What do you do? <laughs> like, he, at first he started like, how old are you? Yeah. <laughs> Because he was surprised to see that actually my skin is still has the, the elasticity yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 and also the shiny you yeah. know so he was surprised i was like mm, okay this is working <laughs> yeah no we we get uh from people that start taking the skin product uh it's funny the thing that we hear often from them especially from women after yeah. they started taking the product is people will come up to them and be like what are you doing you're glowing <laughs> and yeah uh, you know for for yeah. us you know that's That's the reason why we keep on doing it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's for those stories. Like, you know, over the 10 years that, that Philip's been doing this and testing products on people and the, you know, three, three years I've been involved in the company, like the, the stories we hear about how thankful people are for us creating these products for the transformation that they've had in their life because of them you know it's it keeps it keeps us going every day i guess it's very gratifying makes you feel good to hear that it does yeah how did you get in touch with the company in the first place though did you maybe start taking the supplements and then you get interested in them or no i uh i got involved in a roundabout way uh, -huh. uh i had started a digital agency in jakarta uh just before uh, shortly before i got married and through a mutual contact i was introduced to philip because he was looking for someone to develop the e-commerce portion of his web his existing website at that time i think it was the first meeting or the second meeting philip gave me samples of his supplements now growing up in like i said the west coast 
I'd been taking supplements since I was 12 or 13 years old, you know, whether it was echinacea or fish oil or omega-3 or aloe vera oil or, you know, just all the different health trends at some point they came, you know, through my door and I tried them at some point. And I'd never had an experience with a supplement where I was able to be like, that's the reason why I'm feeling this way. About six months after I moved to Jakarta, um, I found myself in the hospital for, I was at the hospital, not for two or three days, but each day I went to the hospital and had more tests done and stuff like this. I, I felt very, very sick, uh, really high fever, vomiting, aching all over. Um, doctors gave me antibiotics, anti-inflammatories, uh, medicated throat lozenges. Um, so, you know, a host of pharmaceuticals took them, got better three weeks or a month later, I was back in the hospital. This went on for a period of five or six months where, wow, really that long. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whereas every four or five weeks I'd be back in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Um, and thankfully in Jakarta, they actually have an ear, nose and throat specific hospital. And, uh, so we started going there and I actually ended up having, uh, I don't know what the actual translation, I should know this in English, but endoscopy. So yeah, where, I know when, yeah, where they stick yeah. the camera down your throat. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that doctor actually just looked at me and said, how long have you been in Jakarta? And I said, well, at this point, almost a year. And he said, well, you're still new. And that was the only answer he could give me for what was happening. What does it mean still new? Well, what would happen is, uh, the pollution, uh, which is quite, you know, heavy in Jakarta, uh, would irritate my throat. And then as soon as my throat was irritated, it would get raw. And then the kind of foreign tropical bacteria that my body growing up, you know, in kind of a cold rainforest environment, uh, didn't have the natural antibodies to fight would just grow into an infection. And that infection would get really, really bad. And, uh, so it was probably about a year after being in Jakarta and after five or six visits to the hospital that I met Philip. And in that meeting, he just gave me his supplements to try because I was going to start working with him on, you know, doing some, some digital work, some development work for him. And, uh, I started taking body every morning and every night. And then, uh, didn't really realize anything and made no correlation at all. But I think it was three and a half months later or four months later, I was back in the hospital with the same thing that had been sending me back to the hospital all this time and uh got home from the hospital with my goodie bag of pharmaceuticals from the doctors and my wife and i sat there and we were like okay what what happened what changed like i went through this period of four months where this was not an issue and so we checked like the service date on our air conditioners and you know all of these things that might have been environmental to change it and uh, then we came to the realization that it was about two weeks before that, that I'd run out of the body supplement. Right. Uh, you stopped using them. Yeah. I just, I ran out of it and I'd never made any correlation. So I didn't ask for more. Uh, so that afternoon I, uh, I sent Philip a message. I explained what happened. He sent me up more body um, right away. Lived another, I think, 14 months in Jakarta after that without going to the hospital once. Excellent. Yeah. So mm -hmm. for me, it was, you know, mm -hmm. I, I, I came to the company, you know, as a, 
you know, a converted user, you know, like mm. for me, you know, I can't think about living in this environment over here without these products. Right. I see. So you started working for them, um, with them, I would say, um, thinking, I mean, your job was to be doing digital marketing for them, but then it became much more than that. It became a sort of a mission, I believe, and purposeful mission. Very, very, very much so. Yeah. Uh, it was a little over a year ago that I, I came on board full time mm. with the company. Mm. Um, and it was just, it was something that needed to, to happen for, for the business, yeah. um, whether it was me or someone else. Um, you know, with what Philip was trying to do and what, what he was trying to create, he, he really needed someone around him that had a lot of diverse interests and knowledge in a lot of different areas that could really work with him on a daily mm. basis to kind of create the strategy and drive the business forward. Do you feel today that you are aligned with your purpose and what you're supposed to be doing? 100%. With, without a doubt. Mm. Uh, it's funny, I was actually on a phone call yesterday with uh, my best friend. We've been best friends for since 30, 32 years now. And he was saying, you know, I wish you lived closer because he's still back in Vancouver and he's very successful himself. And I said, this is the happiest I've ever been in my life. You know, like to me, if I had to define success, like, I'm successful. I'm as, I'm, I'm as successful as I could ever want to be. Would I like to potentially have more financial security down the road? Definitely. But that's not, you know, what I would define success as. Mm -hmm. I wake up every morning smiling and happy for the day ahead of me. Now, when I was living, you know, kind of in the proverbial nine to five rat race, you know, living in Vancouver or Toronto or in those markets, mm -hmm. I can't say that I woke up happy every day. Tell us a little bit about that. Like, how, how where was your beginnings? Like, you, you grew up in Vancouver? I grew up in Vancouver. Uh, who were you as a kid? I have a problem. <laughs> I was, I was... Uh, trouble? <laughs> I was a troublemaker. I got, I got into a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> who, who did you look up to back then? Like, were you... Well, uh, for the majority of my life, I guess... Probably from the time I was 11 or 12, it would have been pro snowboarders. Mm. You know, that was the, the biggest part of my life was skateboarding and snowboarding. Mm. Uh, I just had one snowboarder from Canada in the, in the show. Okay. Uh, Annie Boulanger. Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. familiar with her. Yeah. yeah, she was here like two weeks ago. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No, she, she, she reached a higher level of competition than I did. Mm. Uh, ah, so you were snowboarding. Yeah. You, you looked up to these guys and you wanted to be a snowboarder. Yeah, and you no, became a snowboarder. I, I taught snowboarding for seven years. I competed for almost three years. Um, myself and my friend Jay that I was mentioning before, we were the first two fully certified freestyle coaches in Canada. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, she must know you too. So, yeah, yeah I know I lived in Whistler for yeah. two and a half years, mm. went to Australia to compete. So, you know, it was, it was a big part of my life until my early 20s. Oh, so a troublemaker to a snowboard expert. Yes. And, okay. Well, for me, that was, you know, snowboarding and skateboarding are the two things that kept me out of trouble. And, you know, for me, unlike a lot of people at that time, because I got involved in snowboarding and skateboarding when just before the transition of like outcast to mainstream, you know, like I started snowboarding in 
the late 80s. You know, so then, you know, most most ski hills still didn't allow it. Um, you know, so I, I watched that full transition from mm. it going where it was a bunch of kind of misfits to it was people that took athletics very, very, very seriously. And so what did you want to be back then? Like, was it clear for you that you want to be a pro snowboarder or was there any other options no, that you were exploring? I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. my whole life I started, uh, I started writing business plans when I was probably 15 years old on a bunch of sheet of papers. I'd be doing spreadsheets. Who influenced you for that? I think it was my, the, uh, my dad's business partner's husband. Oh. Um, he was a very, very, very interesting, interesting man. And uh, every month he'd, uh, he'd always buy this magazine called The Rob Report. I don't know if you're familiar with the Rob Report. It's a North no. American magazine, all about luxury living, mm. because he he liked gadgets and neat new things and nice cars and things like this. And the Rob Report's the magazine that, like, in the back it has a classified section, but it's not like a classified section in a newspaper. It's like a classified section to buy like the twenty million dollar penthouse in New York or the thirty million dollar yacht or the bulletproof G wagon. And so I grew, I grew up being kind of really influenced by kind of all of these luxury things. And I'm like, okay, well, the only way I'm ever going to achieve I this want is, that. Yeah, the only way I'm ever going to achieve this is being an entrepreneur. Mm. So okay, so then you stopped snowboarding and you started looking for that. Yeah. So after I stopped snowboarding, I started. It would have been uh, 90, 98. Mm. Uh, so just before the first tech bubble burst. And I had uh, put together a concept for uh, a business, an online business. And I'd gone out and started uh, pitching investors in, uh, in Vancouver. And eventually one of the people I'd been pitching uh, said to me, he said, you know, I'm not going to give you money for your business, but I want you to come work with me, come work for me. And uh, I was 23 years old. And uh, my first title was uh, business development and marketing director. And they were a publicly traded company on the Vancouver Stock Exchange. And I was like, okay, well, I'm 23 years old. This is pretty good. So I took that opportunity and I learned a lot, you know, working there and going through the, you know, the burst of the first bubble in mm. uh, 99, 2000. Was he a mentor in the same time, this guy? He was. He mm. was a mentor at the same time. Uh, I'd say more so than him, uh -huh. um, the CFO. That we had Roxanne Ayat. Uh -huh, uh -huh. She was uh, she was a huge mentor for me. The things that you can think of that she was saying that you still use right now. Not that she said. Not necessarily it, in the technical aspect, yeah, but like not, just not in. Not what she said. It was just more. Um, you know, she she led by example, not not by words, mm -hmm. and the the work ethic she had. Um, and the scrutiny that she had over numbers, mm. you know, her and I were tasked with uh, rewriting the business plan and redoing the financials for the company. And so we worked together over a two or three month period to completely revamp everything for the company. Teaming up together, right? Yeah. yeah. And uh -huh. so, so through that experience, you know, I learned so much. Mm. Plus she was someone that was into running marathons and doing triathlons. So I started doing marathon training with her and me, her and her, her boyfriend would go and we'd go on four hour mountain bike rides up the North Shore mountains. Mm. And How did you know that you were doing a good job? Are you the kind of person that uh, expects like an external feedback or do you have an internal system telling you it did go good? And 
I have an internal system, uh-huh. but I appreciate the external feedback. Mm-hmm. I'm not someone that craves or um, requires the external feedback, but the external feedback is always appreciative and you know puts a smile on your face. You know, it's not something that I need on a regular basis, but you know, even if I get it once every six months or once a year, that's enough for me, the external feedback. It's good to have a healthy balance a little bit between the two. It doesn't mean like you need to be 50-50, yeah. but you know, why I'm asking the question is because probably there is some of the listeners here who wants to start their own business and or get on board with a company like yours and follow their passion and, and um, uh, have a good mission for people. But when we are too much used to have an external feedback only, and that's the only one that we believe in, um, we tend to drift away a little bit from um, commitment and stick into to what we are supposed to do because we wait for somebody to tell us a good job. While in the beginning, you are a solo commando in a mission by yourself doing things and you need to have that internal feedback telling you, you did a good job, keep going until you team up with somebody or get on board with someone. Doing doing any startup, whether it's your own or working yeah. for another startup, mm. uh, you you really need to have that internal mechanism. Mm. I don't think it's something that most people are born with. Mm-hmm. I think it's something that you have to develop, and it takes time, uh, mm. and it's challenging. And we are so much used to that external feedback, like you get. We get the, it from school, from childhood, from parents, yeah, from childhood. Yeah. Like you wait for the parents to tell you good job. Yeah. Okay, now here's a candy and or teachers, here's a toy. Oh, teachers. And we grow into that, but you need to develop it. Well, at and some even point. in our first jobs, uh, when we were working, you know, uh, most of us, I think, are I think, well, growing up where I did, most people's first job was in the service industry. It was either mm-hmm. working in a restaurant or a retail or something like that when they were in high school to make mm-hmm. extra money. And it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. You do a good job, you get a bigger tip. You're right. You know, yeah. th- things like that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's it's bred into us by society for sure. Mm-hmm. And you, you do need to to step away from that in positions of. Uh, you know, in a startup, uh, not only do you have to be a, a self-starter, but you also have to know when you know a task is complete, when a ta- when a task is complete, and when to move on to the next. Um, otherwise, you can get so caught up on the minute details that you know three weeks <laughs> pass you by and you're doing the same thing, where you could have probably put it to rest a couple of weeks before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're pretty autonomous right now. I mean, you work with Philip, I guess. You have also a few people working with and everything, but you don't need that external pressure to get the job done and everything. Like you're doing what you need to be doing. Right? Yeah, you know, yeah. for us right now, we're, you know, a distributed workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's still a small team, but I'm based in Bali. I have one other person with me here in Bali. Uh, Philip's based in Jakarta. We have someone in Singapore. Uh, But, you know, for, yeah, for myself, um, I've always had to do it. You know, mm. I've, I've had very few positions over my 25, well, 27 years of working where I've worked for someone else. Mm. You know, I've pretty much my whole life worked for myself. Mm. Um, did you have to learn it or did you find it um, easy for you to, to do that? No, I had to learn it, mm. um, you know, which was a challenge. You know, I used to spend a lot longer than I needed to in the office, you know, because I, I was very uh, ineffective at uh, completing tasks. So, you know, when I when I had my first business, you know, I'd spend 
14, 16 hours a day in the office. And I thought I was being efficient and getting a lot of stuff done. But looking back on it now with hindsight, I, I just, I didn't have that mechanism that we were just speaking about where, you know, I was able to close something off and move on to the next. I would obsess over it, waiting until someone said that was good enough or you're done that, move on to the next. Mm. But I guess also your own internal dialogue would be kind of negative. Not this is not enough. I have to keep on going. Exactly. And, mm. You know, you, you know, I think all of us in, you know, the work we do, especially, you know, if we've, if we've taken that leap to step out on our own, you know, usually it's something that we have an incredible amount of passion towards, you know, it, it becomes our baby. So it's very easy to start obsessing about the detail. Uh, but by doing that, you get lost, you, you lose the opportunity to actually to progress and to grow and to move forward because you're spending all the time trying to make something perfect. Nothing's ever going to be perfect. You know, the fastest way to get something that's good or great is just to make it, put it out there and go and iterate, 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 iterate. Um, and that's not only for products, that's also for your work. You know, if you're putting together a marketing strategy, you know, you can sit there for three weeks trying to create the perfect marketing strategy. But the problem is there's so many external variables that you're never going to be able to think about when you're sitting there in your cubicle or at your desk at home or in your office that are, that are going to influence it or influence what you put together. The best thing is, is to put something together that might be bare bones, start getting it out there and then react and iterate based on the feedback that you're getting in the market. Correct. That's the good advice. Okay. So you started that uh, new job when you were 23. Um, so what happened after that? The tech bubble burst. Yeah. So our funding uh, dried up. Our share value went from significant to nothing. Um, so that, that was a challenge. <laughs> um, after that, it was uh, survival, mm. uh, you know, which is a, a place I've found myself in a number of times in my life. As an organization, we said the survival or as it for you? No, as an individual. Individual. Um, the mm. company closed down in May of 2001 or 2002. I forget the exact mm. year. Um, had to lay everyone off. I was one of the last two employees uh, still with the company, uh, but eventually the company just sold off its mm. business units or whatever had value and shut the doors. So uh, it was a challenging period, you're saying? No. It was a challenging period. How did you navigate through that? What was going on actually? The challenging period, was it external stressors? Everyone is freaking out. People are losing their jobs and you are thinking, I'm gonna lose mine too. I knew uh, I was losing mine. I knew it. I knew I was uh, losing mine. Um, I knew that I just had longer than most people, but I knew that mine was was ending. Um, yeah, there was a lot of stress. Uh, it was right around that time that uh, I found out that the wife of my wife at the time uh, was pregnant. So you know, I was going to have a child on the way, and uh, yeah, it was you know it was a turbulent period. Mm. And, um, Okay, so you got out of it and then you started something different then? Or was well, it when yeah, it came I, to... I moved on. I uh, threw contacts that I had made. Uh, the business that we were in was in the financial industry. And uh, in Canada, I had done all of my uh, 
I'd completed all the regula- regulatory requirements to uh, trade stock. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going and working for a company trading stock for, for a year. And uh, Very different than the first job. Very different than the first job. Mm-hmm. And uh, it did not make me happy at all. Did you transfer any skills from the first one to the second one? Because usually there is some in the line same things in well yeah because the first one like we were actually um creating software for traders oh right right so uh so this so there was you know a a common thread between the two Mm. um and because of that i needed i went and i had done all of my my courses and my requirements to get licensed as a trader when i was worth the first first company Um, just have a better understanding and more insights as to what traders would need. So, you know, there was definitely a common thread that led me there. And I thought that it was something that I'd have interest in. Uh, but in reality, it was like playing a really boring video game. Hmm. You know, you're staring at a couple of screens for eight hours a day and just looking for, you know, three or four cent shifts in a stock price. Was it boring because it was too easy or because it wasn't fulfilling? Because it wasn't fulfilling. Uh-huh. That was, you know, you're you're in an office with 30 or 40 other people and no one really talks. Mm. You know, so there there was no community. And, you know, to me, I didn't realize it back then how important community was to me. But, you know, I think that that had played a large part in me not being happy there. Right. And this is the second time today or third time that you mentioned the word community. I think it's one of your core values to have community. Definitely. And it took me... 37 years to, to figure that one out. It's never too late. No, 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 not at all. Like I said, the last last five, six years have been the best years of my life. Right. So keep 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 going on that timeline. What is the chapter that came after that one? Uh, after that one, there was a brief hiatus where I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. Played around with a couple of different ideas uh, for businesses. Let me guess, early 30s, late 20s? No, I was still early 20s at the time. Oh, you, you said 23. Oh, yeah. 23. So, I would have quit, finished the job yeah, 25. So 25, 26. So I would have been 26. Oh, so 26 right. till 27 was, you know, a real a real floater year. Mm. <laughs> Not, you know, just taking odd jobs and odd contracts and doing what I needed to make money to survive. It happened quite early to you, I guess, because most of the people I work with, they come to me between 27 and 32. Okay. And doing that transition, like figure, trying to figure out things. I had another one at uh, 35. All right. So that's okay. when you came to Indonesia? That's what I, yeah, that's, that's what led me to Indonesia led for you. my first time. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, but no, then after that, after the floater period, I... Uh, I forget what I was doing for a job, but I had a friend that was working in insurance in Vancouver and uh, we had been talking about starting a magazine. And uh, I remember calling him up at midnight one night and I was like, I hate my job. Let's do it. Let's start a magazine. He was like, okay. He walked into his insurance company the next day and quit. Him too. Yeah. Is it the same uh friend that you mentioned in no no this is a different friend <laughs> so and uh so him and i uh started our, our first magazine uh mm-hmm. i was that would have been yeah 2004 we launched it so i would have been 26 when we started that process nice okay and then ran then... that magazine for three years mm-hmm. uh moved me to toronto uh from vancouver Uh, then after that, I left that magazine and did an online magazine for another three and a half years. 
Um, they're all kind of in the, the design, fashion, lifestyle uh, arena. And uh, yeah, and that's when uh, the wheels really uh, came off the track, so to speak. <laughs> so how how do you think you operate when it comes to making decisions? Like it seems like you have changed a lot of jobs every two years, every year kind of, something like that. Like does it come from um, um, like an excitement point? Like, okay, I'm, oh, this can be very exciting. Let's do it. Or does it come from... Oh, I hate what I'm doing right now and I can't stand it anymore. So I need to do something different. No, it's usually from an excitement. excitement. Uh, well, those are almost the same questions because it's generally for me, generally it would come because what I was doing became boring and something else seemed more exciting mm. at the time. Oh, but which one comes first? Usually the boring. The boring one comes Usually first. Usually the boring comes first. There is, I, I believe there is, yeah, I mean, they're both of them valid, of course, but like I believe there's um, people who are away motivated. So they don't want to have that life anymore. They don't want to have that relationship anymore. They don't want to have that pain or challenge anymore and therefore that's what makes them move forward go to something different try to find something different or find it and there is people who are forward motivated they start from actually the excitement and the idea and the the the, the feelings that can that new venture that new job that new relationship can give them well i i agree with that and, I, and from that standpoint i'd have to say that i'm forward motivated because of you know, for the most part, been an adrenaline junkie my whole life. Mm. And, you know, and that's the excitement, you know, is that, you know, you get that dopamine mm. uptick, you're, mm. you know, things are firing in your head and you're like, okay, th th this is really cool. I can, I want to do this. Mm. Um, so that's what happened also when you, what brought you to Bali, I believe, right? Like a few years after that. To, to some degree. Um, yeah. For me, you know, Toronto, I'd lost myself in Toronto, you know, um, working in the industry that I was in there, you know, you're out five, six nights a week at different events and different parties. And, you know, it, it was a very unhealthy lifestyle for me. Um, and I'd come to a place where I was very, very, very unhappy with life. Uh, and I didn't know what to do. And around the same time, my, uh, but a year and a half before my sister had been diagnosed with cancer. Um, and so I made the decision to move back to Vancouver, um, to be around my sister and her family. I'd never gotten to know her husband really before that point. And I had a nephew that I didn't know. Um, and that was really the first point in my life that I put a priority on being in service to others over being in service to myself and that changed my life yeah that, that, that was a major shift I believe right it, it was um, you know there was a, there was a few things that that happened um, my friend that we spoke about earlier for for seven years he had been trying to get me to go and take a, a personal development course 
and I kept on having excuses. I was like, no, 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 not for me. It's a cult. <laughs> I don't want to do it. Yeah. You know, and, uh, it was about six months after I'd moved back to Vancouver. Um, we were out having a beer one night and, you know, I was still, even though I'd moved there and I was being in service to my sister's family and, you know, contributing and being helpful, I still wasn't fulfilled and I still wasn't happy. And I didn't, I felt very trapped and very isolated at the same time, even though I had these people that I loved around me, I had no idea who I was and where I wanted to go and why I existed. Um, and so he brought it up again that night. He's like, do you have any excuses for not going now? And I was <laughs> like, no, I don't. And uh, so he called and he booked me in and put it on his credit card. Good friend. Yeah, he is. He's, you know, been uh, the most solid person and one of the most solid people in my life for 30 plus years. And uh, in many ways, taking that course changed a lot of my life. It, uh, it really provided uh, a paradigm shift in, in how I viewed things and how I approached the world. And do you feel like you are now um, still at service with what you do these days? I definitely do. Um, not as much as I did before, you know, um, but I make it more of a priority. You know, I think overall the the place I approach life from is a very, very, very different place. Um, you know, you could have said for the first 35 years of my life, I had a chip on my shoulder and I felt that the world owed me things and I was entitled and maybe a little arrogant. Um, but that, that experience of 35, 36, 37, up until the time that my sister passed away, um, it really, it really changed who I was. Um, and, you know, and to, to a lot of my close friends, like I tell them, like, you know, I really, I really only grew up when I was 36 years old. I was still a child before that. Um, and, you know, and even my, my wife now, like I tell her, like, if you had met me 10 years ago, this relationship would not have happened. Like you would not have liked who I was. I didn't like who I was. Hmm. Okay. What are you guys up to now with uh, G Herbal? For the most part, it's getting ready for the international launch, which will be taking place in early 2020, uh, late January, early February. Mm -hmm. What's the difference between the products you have right now and the international ones? Uh, primary, primary difference is the, the international ones, although the, the herbal extracts still come from Indonesia, they are um, produced in Singapore. Um, all of the capsules are also uh, veggie caps. Um, they're also uh, vegan friendly and allergen free. Exclusive design also on the packaging. Exclusive design on the packaging. A complete, a complete yeah. rebrand. Yeah. And, you know, for us, we really, with the international product, we really took a lot, you know, a deep dive into uh, what's the problem, the main problem with how supplements are currently packaged. Mm. Um, and one of them is they're packaged for the convenience of the manufacturer, not the convenience of the consumer. And the thing with a supplement is, is in order for a supplement to work, you have to take it regularly. 
if you stop taking it regularly, you don't get the benefits for it. So when you get a big bag or a big container of supplements, it goes into your cupboard in the kitchen or it goes into, you know, the vanity in the bathroom or, and if you forget to take them in the morning, you're not taking them that day. And so we wanted to, to create packaging that promoted convenience so people could leave one at home, have one in their bag, have one at the office or one in the car. You know, how do we do that in a way that uh, promotes people to take it with them? So when they remember, they have it on them. So it's like, you know, their little herbal friend, mm -hmm. essentially. Mm -hmm. And um, when are they going to be launched, the international ship? By the time this podcast goes live, they, goes should, live. they should be, they, right. they will be available yeah. Early internationally. 2020. Yeah. And the best part about that is we'll be, uh, depending on where you are in the world, um, Europe, the US, it'll be $5 yeah. or five euros shipping, uh, yeah. five days. Excellent. Uh, a couple of more questions. Um, if you can fin finish these sentences. Um, life is all about? Love. That came quick. Hey, happiness come from? Community. That came quick too. <laughs> Pressure comes from? Yourself. Definitely. <laughs> Do you have any specific rituals to get rid of that? pressure or like to cope with it differently manage it differently yeah um spend time with nature or an activity mm -hmm. uh to me that's you know really the only way to do it a walk on the beach uh, a morning surf going to the gym uh, when i was back in canada i'd go running in the mountains um you know for me it's that uh that interaction with nature you know grounding source whatever you want to call it mm. um that allows me to move beyond those those moments of pressure do you read i do um do you like reading well mostly things online uh, magazines, magazines. I'm, i'm a magazine junkie mm. um, i read far more magazine articles than i do books mm. um mostly right now i read a lot of uh, hbr so harvard business review right um Yeah, but I'm a magazine junkie. Excellent. Is there anything else would you like to add this, to this conversation before we wrap it up? The scariest steps in life are usually the best ones to take. Excellent one. Thank you for sharing. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Always happy to. All right. I will put links to all your products, your website, your personal Instagram, if you have one, and connect with everyone. There is a lot to learn from you your experience your time yes so thank you thank you very much Chris. that's it for today's conversation thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the key insights that we shared on this podcast interview Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you didn't subscribe yet and head to my website, thebodyandmindcoach.com slash blog to find exclusive articles about various personal and professional development topics. And finally, if you are an athlete or a business professional who's looking for help to advance your career and navigate through whatever challenges that you may be facing to win your game, or if you are a corporate organization who would like to offer their team a workplace well-being workshop, Or if you are a sports team who's looking at unlocking their full potential, 
go to my website thebodyandmindcoach.com scroll to the bottom and hit the contact button and reach out thank you and enjoy your day Thank you.